watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. Deadpool 2, Book Club, and The Seagull. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Uh, Jason, what's going on with you, man? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, first, I would like to issue a correction. Mm. Now, guys, as a podcast listener, and in particular as a listener of RuPaul's podcast, I know there are few things more infuriating than when the podcaster you're listening to makes a mistake. They misstate mm. something, they say a wrong name, they state a wrong fact, and you are left powerless, just shouting into the abyss, no, that's wrong. Which you- is a feeling that most of us have every day about most things. Mm-hmm. Politics. Yes. Right. Yes. Work. Just that impotence of like, this is wrong, and I can't do anything about it. Oh my God, Truth. And, you know, I feel like the least we can do is not contribute to that with Mm. our show. But I think that... We're going to stop doing the show. So this is it. We're wrapping things up today. You've all been wonderful. Thanks for your fives to sevens of comments you've left us over the years. Mm -hmm. We've actually never seen any of these movies. So (laughs) we have fooled you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, So, uh, yeah. So we don't want to contribute to that terrible feeling that we all have living in the world. And yet, on a recent episode, I did just that. Mm. And I did it in a really, in a way that I am personally very mortified about. So, on an episode that, as we are taping this, we just released today, or late last night, the episode in which we reviewed Avengers Infinity War, um, and the Grace Jones documentary, and Ghost Stories. At the beginning of that episode, I told a story about going to see Jennifer Lopez, in concert in Las Vegas. And um, and while describing the J-Lo concert, I talked about how she did a cover of a song called I Hope You Dance, um, a song that is performed by one Ms. Leanne Womack. Rhymes. Guys, I said rhymes. I am horrified. And I was sitting there on the bus today, like going back and forth from building to building at work for my part two of my what's up with me. <laughs> and uh, and I heard myself say the first time, I was like, yeah, she covered I Hope You Dance by Leanne Rhymes," And I nearly screamed right there on the shuttle mm. at my gaff. Because not only do I know good and goddamn well that Leanne Womack sang I Hope You Dance. And not only did I quite literally choose to buy a ticket and walk my ass over to the chapel to see... Leanne Womack sing I Hope You Dance just months ago. But Leanne Rhymes, I think of as one of the ultimate nemeses of humankind. Whoa. Because. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I she, did not see this turn coming. Because she is a homewrecker. What? Who wrecked the marriage of Brandy Glanville and Eddie Cibrian. Are those real people? Those are real people, I assure you. Uh, Brandy Glanville is a real housewife of Beverly Hills. Ah, there it is. Eddie Cibrian was her husband. He's the father of her two children. Mm. Uh, he was an actor. He was in But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, he was the hunky son mm. who always was like holding mm-hmm. a chainsaw while wearing a tank top. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he was Holly Hunter's masseuse in Living Out Loud. Um, great roles, one and all. Uh, so he was married to Brandy and they had two kids. And then uh, while... She was pregnant with the second one. She, she, I think, you know, he started fucking around. He may have been fucking around the whole time. But then ultimately, Eddie and Leanne Rimes were cast in a Lifetime movie together, A Winter Romance. And uh, and they uh, began a fair. And then Eddie left Brandy and his sons to be with Leanne Rimes. Now, when you're a Housewives watcher, your loyalties are very, very, very intense. And Brandy is one of my top three of all time. So as a result of this, I have spent probably the last, I don't know how long have I known Brandy is, seven, six or seven years thinking just the very worst of Leanne Rhymes. And so for me to make this mistake, it wasn't just that I said it once. Saying it once, I was already mortified. I'm like, oh, well, I'll probably the next time I say it, I'll say the right name. I'll catch it. And then I said it a second time. Mm. And I even said I went to the chapel to see Leanne Rhymes. 
Is it because they're both prestige country acts? No, that's uh, Rebecca's Rebecca teasing me because she knows how much it's killing me that I called Leanne Rhymes a prestige country act when I meant Leanne Womack is a prestige country act, which she is. And then Rebecca even said back to me, you saw Leanne Rhymes at the chapel? And I'm like, surely this will be when I hear it. And I did not. I paired it back to her. I saw Leanne Rhymes at the chapel. I feel like I had a stroke. I feel like I should, you know, get an MRI. I feel like it's a cat's game would not be out of line. Maybe this is like a Freudian slip. Maybe you don't like your housewife as much as you can. They think you do. Or maybe you're like me and you actually don't know the difference between the two. <laughs> what is Leanne Rhymes saying? Well, Leanne Rhymes sang, um, she sang the country version. Well, she sang one of the versions of How Do I Live? Um, although I believe Trisha Yearwood sang another. That's and not helpful. Did she Le- sing the Coyote Ugly song? I don't know what the Coyote Ugly song is. Yeah, never mind. Um, I know that she started off when she was a teenager. I think she had a song called Blue that was like a Patsy Cline type of number. I have no idea. I don't know what anything what's going on. <laughs> this is, I mean, I appreciate you're trying to wade in deeper, though, with more with more follow-ups. But it is, it How is. How do you even spell Leanne? Is it L-E-E? Is it L-E-I-G-A? Oh, I, okay. Oh, you know, you might be happy to know that when I type in L-E-E space A, Leanne Womack comes up first. Y- yes, because I believe Leanne Rhymes' first name is one word instead of two, and it might be L-E-A-N-N. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope you dance. Hmm. There are degrees here. There are degrees of the name. and But there are no degrees of my wrongness. It was 100% wrong. No degrees right. And I... Oh, there's Leanne Rhymes. There she is. What did she sing? Um, How Do I Live? Wow, what is this? And then she ultimately, over the years, had a lot of work done so that she would look more like Brandy, which is even weirder. <laughs> and she's been like one of those pushy... St- Wait, what did she have to do with Brandy? No, Brand- Brandy Glanville. She got oh, she had work oh, done oh, to oh. look more like I thought the you meant like Brandy of Brandy and Monica. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, is it like a Dolezal thing? Is I'm so like, confused. I watched that documentary. Talk about a good movie. I know. Uh, but mm. no. And then she turned into one of those evil like stepmoms who's like taunting the white, the woman whose marriage she stole by posting pictures of herself with the kids. I'm only letting this go on because I know we have a lot of gay male listeners who might be interested in this. But just out. let me know when it's... Oh, these boys know. Anyway. So yeah. So that is my correction. Um, I meant Leanne Womack. Please trust and believe I will never see Leanne Rhymes in concert and I will never speak a kind word about her. Only Leanne Womack, who is a queen. Uh, part two of what's up with me is earlier today, um, I went to work for a special function. Oh, it was Coyote Ugly. <laughs> How did I know that? <laughs> I'm so proud and embarrassed at the same time. Do you guys hear that in her laugh? Do you guys hear the the, the conflicting, like the two different heats heating, heating each other? Rhymes would make a cameo in the 2000 film Coyote Ugly. I'm just the film buff, which this is a movie podcast, so I'm bringing it back. She would also contribute for a song to the film soundtrack, and it's the Can't Fight the Moonlight song. <laughs> Which you know, we you all have heard the gay remix of it. I I, I probably did, yeah, you and have. it sounded vaguely familiar when you said Leanne Rhymes and Coyote Ugly. But that's a, that's the thing that there's an imprint in my mind somewhere that it went there, but I don't know where it came from or it's why. It's just it's because there. you're such a Piper Parabo enthusiast. You just followed her from film to film. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Parabuff. Pimp. <laughs> um. Yes. Um. Yeah. I'm trying. To, there has to be other things you can do with Parabo. I know that, that, shout out to Mima, that Piper Parabu is a longtime joke of hers. Just say that name to her and she'll start laughing. Sure, will do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so today <clears throat> there was, today is also, uh, the day we're taping this, is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Mm-hmm. And um, and at work, we had a special speaker um, for the day. His name is Niall DeMarco. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and a he- A handsome fella incredibly handsome fella he won america's next top model on one of the co-ed seasons and then he went on to win dancing with the stars which is a remarkable feat given that he is deaf mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and uh and so uh i i didn't know so they yeah they had this thing and i was like oh well i don't know no one goes to these things they'll be fine and uh so i rsvp'd and fought my way in and so and then i go i show up it's way across campus another building and uh and i'm starting to like look around and I'm realizing that what I have unwittingly done is I have aligned myself with like the thirsty gaze of Apple. Mm, mm. So, you know, so this event that was that was nominally meant to be uh, about awareness raising um, for mm. accessibility issues oh, man. 
had become an event for uh, overprivileged, overpaid gay men of the Bay Area to stand and ogle um, a beautiful, admittedly queer man. Niall is, uh, did come out as being, uh, I believe he used the term sexually fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we're all there thinking we got a chance. And eyeing each other with great competition in our eyes as if we're attending a casting call for a Niall dating show and not a very earnest, serious event about uh, the many ways that our company can improve our accessibility relations. Wonderful. And, uh, and so, and it was, it was, it was just, yeah, incredibly, I felt, it's like a thing where you go to maybe a show um, or you go to like a, 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 a theme party for something you like. And you just look around and you're like, is this what I look like? Mm-hmm. Are these my people? Mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like these people. I don't want to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, last time I felt this bad was when I went to go see Nashville live um, <laughs> at the Warfield. <laughs> felt very uncomfortable seeing yeah. myself reflected back to me there. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so then uh, so then we were all sitting there and, you know, it's just like, I, you know, legions of gay men trampling the deaf school children they brought in from local schools to <laughs> to meet their hero. <laughs> um, it was a very untoward setting. And uh, and then Tim Cook came out to introduce Niall and uh, and he was sort of um, <laughs> well, he kind of lost me right away because he was introducing Niall and he was like, he's like, you might be familiar with Niall from the TV show America's Top Model. And I was like, next, next, it's next top model. Oh, I had um, no idea what, what the air was. Yeah, no, it's America's next top model. I see. He missed the N in mm. ANTM, mm-hmm. which was unforgivable. Um, and then he was like, because he, and then Tim was like, because, well, when you see him, you will understand why he's a model. Ooh, I yeah, like any of you stand a chance with Tim Cook there. I know, I know, I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I was like, why is this just like a gay thirst trap event? I'm like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I felt whenever like Mary J. Blige played her Christmas show a few years ago. I'm like, oh, why are we having this like this big like belting diva come to, oh, mm-hmm, there's Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's Tim. Um, So, and, uh, and then he was like, but yeah, so even though he, you know, he's a model, but you know, the thing that, uh, that I like about him most is his heart. And he's got a big one. <laughs> wow. Shameless. And I was... Yeah, shameless. I, I couldn't even... like. I kind of like it. I knew one other gay there who was sitting right behind me. And I couldn't even fully turn and look him in the eye Mm-mm. after that. No. I just pictured the headlines like, Tim Cook on Al DeMarco, quote, he's got a big one. <laughs> that you were going to put on your blog. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, and then I sat there, uh, through Niall's signed presentation, mm-hmm. uh, mostly looking at his thighs and, uh, and that was that. So, uh, and then I bolted out of there because they're like, and now we have some more accessibility related programming. I'm like, gotta go back to work. So, oh my God. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> all in all poor showing for me. And it was in the middle of all that, that I realized that I said Leanne rhymes five times without correcting myself. Wow. So pretty tough day. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, what's yeah, up with you? Yeah, the real tragedy is, uh. <laughs> Uh, what's up with me? Uh, not, I mean, you had two, so I don't even think they have room for one. Listen, you, it's our show. <laughs> <laughs> you can go as long as you want. Um, there really isn't much. Um, I would say that I've uh, seen some things that we aren't going to be reviewing that I've enjoyed. <clears throat> oh, um, like what? Uh, there's a Netflix documentary called Voyeur about uh, Gay Talese writing that book about the uh, voyeur in the motel. Hmm. Um, very good and creepy. Okay. Um, and I've been watching Killing Eve. Yes. Uh, very slowly. I have. I finally mm. finished uh, American Crime Story, The Assassination <laughs> of Gianni Versace. Did that the, was great. Did, did the ending surprise you? Uh, it surprised me. The haircut surprised me. I mean, the the show is both... An emotional journey and, uh, you know, a, a, a biopic journey, a, you know, a journey of a lifetime. It's a journey of, it's a journey of fashion. It's a journey of looks, um, which is the part I enjoyed the most. Your favorite journeys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's a time when he goes two journeys because it is, you know, that time at the mall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't surprised. What do you mean by surprised? Did you know he died? No, I didn't. <laughs> But um, somebody had recently been like, yeah, was it? I didn't even know he died at the end. So I wasn't surprised because someone oh, had recently no. told me. 
They spoiled 1998 news for you. Also, how did I not know that? <laughs> I feel like I knew about the assassination, or I knew about the murder, but how could I not have known that there was like this huge manhunt going on? Yeah, I mean, I think I I, for, I had forgotten how it ended, but then when I was like reading about the show before it came out, and they're like, oh, up until his suicide on the houseboat a few days later or whatever, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. God, this is gonna be a dark show. Mm, and I didn't realize it would take so long. Like mm. he really like tried to stay alive for a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Um so, and yeah, so I've been. Oh yeah, so you're enjoying Killing Eve. Yeah, I'm enjoying Killing God, Eve. The soundtrack to that show, really unbelievable. Really unbelievable. Unbelievable. The the humor in that show, mm-hmm. oh, so good. Did you watch Fleabag? Oh my god, a couple of times. Oh really? Yeah, I watched through that series a couple of times. Um, she had that other show that was on Netflix about like a bunch of people who go and like rent a ho- a hospital. It's like. It's like a show about, I think it's, I don't know if they're squatters or if it's like you like pay to rent out a room in like an abandoned hospital and um, she like goes to visit an ex-boyfriend and then she ends up staying there. Um, it wasn't quite as funny. It was like mm, a British okay. um, I don't know uh, that comedy. One. She does a voice in Solo, which we'll review next week. Oh, yes, that's she, exciting. And she's very funny in it. Really? Yes. And she's going to be in Star Wars? Yeah, well, yes, yeah, so, so Han Solo. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, oh, the Hans, oh, oh, a Han, voice. Yes, the Han Solo movie. Oh, interesting. Yes. So, yeah, so she's not on screen, but she voices a robot. I mean, she could write everything. Yeah. She's so funny. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's up with me. Did you get a chance to see Disobedience yet? Oh, I did. Yes. Oh, wait, you did? I did. Oh, well. I went to the movie well, theater with two work, two co-workers oh, to see the movie about... Um, about mouth spitting. Oh, yes. The act. <laughs> the act. The act. That scene. Because, um, you know, we did have a request from Jax. Hi, Jax. Hey. Uh, to talk about disobedience. Oh, um, yeah, I did see it. Did you see it? I saw it in TIFF. Ding. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I went to the movie theater and I watched it. Wow. Yeah. How Isn't no- that crazy? How novel. Yeah. Um, the co-workers. You know, it, it's um, you know, the Venn diagram of things that interest me. This oh, was yeah. uh, right smack in the center. Yes. Um, uh, someone had said that it was... Uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, the interracial romance. Oh, 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 oh. It's Rachel McAdams and Rachel Vice. Thanks, Twitter. Um, what did I think of it? Um, <laughs> I was not prepared to review movies today. <laughs> Is that what we're doing here? Um, you know, I didn't leave saying that it's like a. I wouldn't give it a binge it. No. Um, uh, which was disappointing. How did, um, it, how did it compare to Novitiate for you in terms of your uh, straight up like uh, passion project? Right. <laughs> right. In terms of your boner. Oh, gross. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to celebrate your sexuality here. You don't that's need to, not you... it. So I don't know what to tell you. Well, Novitiate was. Um, yeah, but I don't like that word. Um, <laughs> sexuality. Uh, you're making it worse. Um, I would say that this is not quite as tantalizing mm. as um, Novitiate. You're like, I don't like the word boner. What I prefer is tantalizing. <laughs> I am a professional. <laughs> I talk about sex on my own terms. <laughs> it's my own language. <laughs> um, this was, uh, it, it was interesting. I feel like it's uh, was maybe not the movie I thought it was going to be like, um, mm. you know, I sort of expected it to be kind of like, you know, Rachel Vice is this character that kind of like goes in, goes in and shakes things up purposefully. And mm. she's not really, she comes in no. kind of begrudgingly to, she goes back to her, um, the neighborhood where she's from, uh, which is an Orthodox neighborhood having been kind of banished mm-hmm. from the life in London. And, um, but she's really just kind of like at the mercy and the prey of, um, you know, an old lover who's still there and now married to, um, her friend, a man, a, a man mm-hmm. who, uh, stunning. That was the most amazing, um, part of the movie was just watching the sort of, I don't know, it felt like a very familiar chemistry between the three of them yeah, and what, it, what right. would easily be a very like, um, unbelievable situation where it's like, she has to stay mm-hmm. with him and her. And it's so awkward and so tense, but it's also not like there's a lot of familiarity there that makes it very comfortable. Right. Since they were supposed to have known each other since they were kids. Right. And, and there was clearly like, um, you know, disagreements about, you know, what the what the two women had done because mm-hmm. they had an affair when they were kids. And he's basically next in line to be the rabbi of the community. Right. Um, but the way his character had so much, uh, I don't know, I felt like it was anticlimactic but at the same time i was relieved to know that like it was all met with understanding and like that was civility Al- alessandro Navola, right yeah. Is that who mm-hmm. played? yeah 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 mm-hmm. he's very good in that um but uh the uh the set the the scene 
Yes. You want to talk about that? We can. We can. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm definitely hearing you about how, yeah, it, it does sort of, she is kind of Rachel Weisz's character. You know, she's meant to be very worldly. She works in like fashion, I think. Photographer. Yeah, photographer. Every lesbian um, photographer. Every movie. <laughs> high art. High art in it again. Yeah, like every movie. High art this. Everything. <laughs> All of the ones. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so yeah she comes back and and yeah she is kind of like it, it feels almost like it's gonna be like a garden state type movie where she kind of goes home again <laughs> after someone dies and it's kind of like bumping along shins are playing and um but then yeah she just kind of you know can't expect that she's going to have this rekindling with rachel mcadams character of this thing that they were doing when they were younger and then it just seems like the time is somehow right for both of them chemistry wise mm-hmm. like this thing's about to just pop off again and um and then yeah it, it in and it kind of plays out yeah in not in a not very empowered way mm-hmm. in just a sort of in a fairly honest way just mm-hmm. just, just sort of this love affair is kind of happening behind closed doors and then it isn't um but uh but yeah there is a love scene in particular that has got a lot of eyebrows wagging do brows wag i don't know not mine mm-hmm. i'm trying to uh, mm-hmm. yeah they are a little bit you're all right okay you can do it I had my eyebrows wagging. Um, this was actually the first movie that, so, you know, Scott came for the phone, the final weekend of TIFF last year. Mm-hmm. And this was the first movie he saw when he got off the plane. And, uh, and <laughs> we're sitting there in the audience and there's just a moment in this, the, the love scenes are fairly frank. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, please feel free to jump in with your thoughts. Fairly frank. Um, and there's more nudity than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's one moment in particular where, um, one woman spits into the other's mouth as a part of their lovemaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that scene has caught everyone off guard who has seen the movie. It's like the new peach scene. It is the new peach scene. Um, and it's sort of like, no, is that a thing that people do? Mm-hmm. I think everyone's mm-hmm, wondering, mm-hmm. is that is that is, is that a normal part of lesbian love? Oh, you think it's a lesbian thing? Uh, I mean, and the only people anyone's ever seen do it were them. So <laughs> I mean, it's maybe it's a Rachel yeah, maybe, thing. Maybe it's a Jewish thing. There you go. It's an Orthodox yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Ingu was asking me. She was like, "So did that have meaning? Did that mean something? Was that like significant in some way?" And I'm like, "Not that I know of." Mm, She's yeah. like, "No." She's like, "So it was just like a shock." I'm like, "Maybe." I don't know. I didn't find it that shocking. No. No. Do you feel like you've seen people do that before? I mean, sort of. Yes. Okay. I mean, I feel, oh boy, I feel like it usually happens at different times, but I think that- at different um, times. Like what? Here we go. <laughs> I, um, sorry, my stomach is growling. <laughs> <laughs> Your body's like, no, go no further. So hungry. Uh, <laughs> I'm salivating. I have a saliva production right. problem. It's do part, I, do part I need, of everything I do. Do I need to get some spit in my mouth right about now? <laughs> so parched. <laughs> I I don't know if I if, I just think that like it could be it's a very intimate way of sharing yourself with somebody. Okay. All right. Uh, and so uh, so you're saying that this... all I can think about is every person I've ever been like <laughs> I have a podcast. <laughs> uh. Hello, Michelle Obama. Lovely to meet you. I hope you'll listen to. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think that that is that is I think what you, what you can bring to the conversation is like if this was not the first time that you had encountered in your life, the concept of one person spitting into another person's mouth as a form of intimacy, <laughs> um, then that is all we need to know. Okay. So all it right, was then. it was not invented in the moment for this movie mm-hmm. by the two Rachels. Mm-hmm. It's not an. No one's ever seen this before. No, I mean I haven't. I mean I. I, I mean I've seen spitting, for as like lube, um, but mm. you don't need to lubricate your mouth, uh, generally. Wow, someone is unless, uh, saliva, unless, not saliva. Not, not impaired. to brag about my glands, <laughs> but you know, or I guess unless you're stoned and you have dry mouth and you're like oh, spit in my mouth. I don't know. I don't even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to go on record as saying that like it has necessarily been something that I have been privy to. But um, I mean, it doesn't at all seem I mean, now I'm like, are we going to are we going to disobedience this or what? It's like being atomic blonded. Never mind. Can we watch it and get back to me? Which one was? Don't even. What would atomic blonding be? You'll see. 
Well, I've seen Atomic it Blonde. Well, watch it again. Not closely enough, apparently. Oh, is there something? It's that thing when you like meet seen? a person, and then you and like you fight them, fight way down them the all the way down the stairs. <laughs> exactly, in real time. <laughs> so you do know. Right. It's that thing. Yeah. It's that thing where you meet someone you're really attracted to, then right. use him as a human shield while you shoot a bunch of Russian spies. <laughs> As a way to show your love? Sure, sure. And then down the stairs you go and out into the street. And, and, um, and then you into a car. exchange numbers. Mm-hmm. And then into the lake. No, that makes sense. Um, well, I'm glad that we have talked about this. I also agree not. the disobedience. It's a, it's a, it's a consume for me. Um, I, I, I did not, it did not do a whole lot. It's a classic late 90s Sony picture classic. Like, mm-hmm. huh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it would have been. Saw yeah. it. Yeah, the 90s would have been a, 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 a more impactful time for this mm-hmm. movie to come out. Although I think that love scene in the 90s would have rocked clocks a lot more than it's rocking them now. <laughs> yeah, now compared to the peach, it's nothing. I mean, truly. Um, but uh, but I mean, the acting is good. And the, yeah, it's just it's just kind of like, meh. It's just, it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it doesn't ultimately even work out to be about like, and so, you know, it's about this woman moving from one relationship to another. Mm. No, it's in that sure way. She, it's if realistic. she's not in a relationship, then what's she going to do? I think my biggest disappointment from it is that um, it's from the director of A Fantastic, Fantastic woman, woman, which really, um, as you would say, blew my hair back this year. <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> it's, phrases. It's still, still not down. Um, uh, I, well, this week I recently used uh, Busted My Hump, which I really enjoyed as well. Man, I've been over here busting my hump about this thing all week and then it doesn't come to anything. I really like that one. Don't spit in my mouth and tell me it's raining. <laughs> That's what you call it. It's raining. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so Fantastic Woman really uh, yeah. was really amazing. And this one um, was less it's so. a little, yeah, it's a little less so. A little less fantastic. And he had both of them at TIFF last year. So, mm. yeah, it was a real, real roller coaster. Interesting. Shall we to the new movies? Let's do it. The first movie this week is Deadpool 2. And do we have a surprise for you? We do, guys. So this week, we're going to try something different. And we're going to have me read the summaries for you guys. But I'm going to do my best to read them in the way that I imagine Rebecca would. uh, Just so as to not create unnecessary change for you Mm -hmm. as a listener. Seamless transition. Foulmouth mutant mercenary Wade Wilson, a.k.a. Deadpool, brings together a team of fellow mutant rogues to protect a young boy of supernatural abilities from the brutal, time-traveling mutant, Cable. That's how I sound? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that was good. Thanks. I ain't letting Cable kill this kid. But I can't do this alone. We're going to form a super-duper group. That's what we're going to do. Our group will be forward-thinking, gender-neutral, we will be known as X-Force. Isn't that a little derivative? You're absolutely right. Now, cue the music. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Okay, so I think for the first attempt, it was okay. I think you can do better in an impression of me, but we'll see. We have other movies coming. We do. Um, and before we get into this review, I want to make this a super dated episode mm. right now and ask you, Yanni or Laurel? I haven't. You haven't, and I won't. <laughs> what? I hate all those things. But it, but it's so fascinating, isn't it? No. The blue gold dress. No, Mm-mm. nothing. I just assume from the immediate get go that there are two files going around. <laughs> but it's the one. It's the same tweet. It's one tweet. Everyone's referring to. I don't care. <laughs> it's so cranky. I know. You got these I know. Kids and their shit. I don't I care don't, about it. Like. That's the, that's the thing. Nobody sees the world the same way. We all know that. We have, someone has a Leanne Womack and someone has a Leanne Rhymes, and nobody knows the difference. But I was just wrong. I was just wrong. Oh, just like that we, clip is going to be saved <laughs> for a long time. Just like the people who think it says Laurel are wrong. But anyway. What is it? It's a tweet? Yeah, it's like an audio file. Um, and it's like this weird robot voice. And it sounds, it doesn't even sound like it's saying Yanny to me. It sounds like it's saying like Yanny. Yeary. who? Why would you want to listen to that? It just—I don't know. It made the rounds. Um, Have they made a remix of it yet? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to use the original tweet so that we can be like, okay, this is the thing everyone else is listening to. Has Leanne Rhymes covered it? I don't follow her on social media, and I'm not going to start <laughs> now. I'm not giving her clicks. What? So, what are you? 
Um, I'm in team uh, Yanny, but I think it doesn't actually sound like Yanny. I think it sounds more like Yari. Also, oh, what's Yanny? Laurel's in... Oh, anyway. These are, I think mm. someone said, uh, Billy Eichner, I think, said something about it. He was like, Yanny and Laurel sound like two Jewish sisters I avoided a bar mitzvah. <laughs> I mean, the real question is, um, Trump or Hamas? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> speaking of jokes, Deadpool 2. <laughs> Rebecca loves jokes. Um, Deadpool 2... Um, uh, I'm just going to start off. Haven't seen it. Want to see it. I think Deadpool was the first um, comic book movie that I have seen that I was like, oh, they're not what I think they are. Yeah. I had only seen like two maybe before that. But I was like, oh, this is fun. And um, I feel like having a sequel would be a a tough act to follow. What do you what do you think? I I know it's a really vague opening, (laughs) but I mean, I don't know how else to frame it. Like, is it as funny? Is it a disappointment? Right. Right, right, right. Um, I would say that it is it, it it is a really tough thing to follow a movie like the first one because the first one really did kind of break the mold, mm-hmm. and it was such a surprise, and it was so funny in such unexpected ways, mm-hmm. and uh, and especially at that time, <clears throat> like that was you know what two years ago or so. Oh my God, such a different time, different world. You had a laugh, easier place to be. Um, and, you know, and also just in terms of what was happening in superhero movies at that time, like, you know, the first Avengers movie had come out, but, you know, we hadn't had like Thor Ragnarok or mm. like Spider-Man Homecoming or like, you know, action movies, superhero movies that are just flat out irreverent. Or Black Panther, ones that are um, more thoughtful. Just it was very formulaic up until that point. Well, I mean, I think that there had already been some, some really good ones at that point. Um, but, you know, but they would tend to, to run a little serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even if they would have like some moments of jocular riffing, they ultimately still took themselves very seriously. Mm. And Deadpool as a movie did not take itself seriously. And that was what was so bracing and refreshing about it. And that attitude very much continues in the new one. Uh, it is still, it, but if anything, it kind of doubles down. Mm. in uh in a way that can become a bit grating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's like you know it feels like it's just like a, a one-liner delivery system of like fourth wall breaking jokes yeah that was the concern yeah and um and they don't land as sort of like gracefully as they mm. did the first time around it feels a little bit more forced and it feels like um you know it's almost sort of like the comparison I'll always go back to is season one of Jersey Shore versus season two of Jersey Shore. Because season Please explain. Season one, these kids didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. They didn't have a sense of like their brand. They didn't have a sense of their merchandising potential. They just were kids who were insanely entertaining to watch just being themselves on camera. But then when they came back for season two, season one had happened. They'd become global phenomenon. Too self-aware. Yeah, self-awareness. And self-awareness can be, you know, can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. And I think that in the case of Deadpool 2, it is, and, and again, it would be almost impossible for it to replicate what happened the first time. This mm-hmm. is something that's just a lot of sequels are condemned to, to this. Like, you can't get, you can't achieve the same thing twice. You can't capture lightning in a bottle twice. And uh, so this one, definitely, there's some strain uh, of it trying to just be like, well, let's see. Well, if we just have twice as many jokes, maybe mm. we can at least be half as funny. And uh, and and a lot of them do work. Uh, but I think that right from the beginning, I started kind. Of, it, it kind of started to lose me because there's a a scene that happens right before the title sequence that is intended to be. Um, you know, that's maybe the movie thinks it's shocking, and I did not. I was like, this is clearly going to happen. This thing is going mm. to happen in this scene. And then over the opening credit sequence, which is set to that amazing new Celine Dion song, Ashes, from the soundtrack. And this, uh, the credits are done to look like a James Bond's uh, uh, credit sequence. Um, the credits, instead of like last time, where it was like, you know, making fun of everyone involved. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, the studio brought produced by, did that really just happen? You know, with screenplay by, whoa, how can they do that? And I'm like, okay, right off the bat movie, you're giving yourself more credit than you deserve. Because the thing you just did was very apparent. You were you were mapping it out. You were setting it up. Then you did it. And then you pat yourself on the back mm-hmm, for like three mm-hmm. solid minutes of like, can you even believe it? Fourth wall breaking jokes. So I was like, okay. 
Like, so I think that the movie is a little too convinced of its cleverness, mm. which I think is a problem I had with the first one. But compared to the first one, uh, yeah, the first one comes off looking a lot better um, compared to this one. So, uh, so yeah, so I think that it, it does suffer a bit just from try. It has, it has a real case of the tryhards. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing about the thing that's trying hard to do, though, is to seem cool and unbothered. <sighs> You know, so that's that's kind of a, a conflict there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel the first one. I mean, the Deadpool character and, and um, the incessant joking mm-hmm. sort of worked because Ryan Reynolds was able to make the character have another. Like it was a, a whole other side of being, you know, vulnerable. And he was, you know, almost what he was like, almost dead, and he's mm-hmm. disfigured. And um, there was, he's likable and affable in a way that isn't right. super obnoxious. Um, so yeah, it seemed like maybe um, the way to go that, that would have been shocking would have been even to be maybe more serious instead right. of like doubling down and trying to be right. more funny. And the thing that happens, it does open on a fairly serious note and the finale is fairly serious. Uh, but yeah, kind of in between, it's just really pushing super, super hard. And the the, the sort of the, the rate of return is, is not as strong as it was in the first one. But that said, it's still very, there's some parts that are incredibly, incredibly funny. I mean, I and, definitely had a had a had a one loud ha at the trailer. They caught me unexpected, um, and I, and, it, and it got me. Um, <laughs> one thing we also liked about the first movie is that even though it has this like aggressive humor, um, it was mostly respectful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that that is I think mostly true again here. Um, well, I will also note though that. This one struck me, at least, as being way more violent than the first one. Mm. Um, so they really pile on. So there's there's way more jokes and there's way more gore. In particular, there's a whole lot of, of, of sword slashed limbs um, just pile up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really kind of, I was almost wincing. It was oh, it's, really? it's, it's it's ultra violent, ultra violent. Um, but no, I would say the, the the sense of humor is still respectful, and they actually. Uh, so if you remember from the first movie, there was the teenage girl who was like the sidekick, mm-hmm, Nick, Nick Sonic mm-hmm. Warhead, um, and she uh, in this movie comes out and has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that is, and I think that might be the first character from like a Marvel Marvel adjacent movie to have a character just openly say like I'm a lesbian. Oh, there you go. Uh, and she's not in it a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, she just does that one right, spitting scene and then... Right, right. <laughs> then out she goes. Exactly. I mean, you know, when it's a trend, it's a trend. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I it, it still, I would say, does not... The joke is more often than not at, you know, Deadpool's expense or mm-hmm. at the expense of a lot of meta targets, mm. lots of jokes at Wolverine's expense, mm-hmm. lots of jokes at Ryan, Ryan Reynolds' expense. <laughs> Lots of jokes at Fox's expense. So, yeah, there's just, yeah, all the targets tend to be pretty meta and not sort of like, yeah, not any low-hanging um, problematic fruit. Um, there really isn't too much I want to want to ask about this one. I feel like those are the kind of the big questions. Anything else uh, popping out at you? Otherwise, I feel like this one's kind of self-explanatory. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a perfectly good time. I was not bored. Uh, there are some really hilarious gags. Uh, this has some of the best parts actually are some some bits that play over the beginning of the credits. So definitely don't go bolting for the theater right when the credits start to roll because there's some hilarious stuff coming up. Uh, so uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Josh Brolin is the villain in this, just like he was the villain mm. in Infinity War. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and he does really well in this as well. He's uh, he's really killing it in the Marvel villain uh, uh, area this year. And I think, yeah, I think any fan of the first movie is just going to fucking love this. I can't imagine anyone who really loved the first movie not having a good time watching Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2 is rated R for strong sexual violence and language throughout, sexual references, and brief drug material. And I guess I'm going to give it... Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess I'll give it a consume moderation. Like, it's like a consume plus mm-hmm. for me. And that brings us to our second movie. Jason, you ready with this one? Yep. Give it to me. Book Club. Diane is recently widowed after 40 years of marriage. Vivian enjoys her men with no strings attached. Sharon is still working through her decades-old divorce. And Carol's marriage is in a slump after 35 years. The lives of these four lifelong friends are turned upside down after reading the infamous Fifty Shades of Grey, catapulting them into a series of outrageous life choices. (laughs) 
Hi, beautiful friends. I would like to introduce you to Christian Grey. Oh, no. We started this book club to stimulate our minds. From what I hear, this book is quite stimulating. <laughs> oh, wow. This was a Sunday date that Jason and I went on uh, to see Book Club. Uh, was it on Mother's Day? Uh, yeah, it was. It was Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mother's Day, noon on a Sunday. So I don't know about you, but I rolled in there feeling just happy as can be. I was not. <laughs> That's true. Rebecca was not. Uh, I'm trying to set this up to make it sound like I was in a good mood. You were um, in a good mood. And uh, I, I thought that you would think that I was. <laughs> And we so we sat there and um and then things did kind of turn against us right off the bat when we sat down. But mm, uh mm-hmm. but uh but all the same, um we watched this movie. <laughs> and that's a review. <laughs> and uh and yeah, and and so because I guess yeah, what I'm trying to set up here is that while you might reasonably expect from me and what you know of me and my taste in films, that I would give you a rave review of Book Club. It's not what you're gonna get, and um, and I swear, like I was just like I was so open to the movie, and I was so like, just be you, book club. You is good enough. There, you you already are giving me so much with this cast. All you have to do is just be kind of even a little okay, and I'm gonna love you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, but it wasn't. It really wasn't. Um, to me, it felt like this movie was. I think I think my our initial response to you was. If this movie didn't have a director and they all just improvised this, it would it was amazing. Yes. However, that's not what happened here. Yeah, no, there are people who are responsible for writing and directing this, and that's a tough thing to know. Uh, <laughs> tough information to have. Real tough. And uh, so, and really, it starts right from the very beginning. Mm. It puts you through, uh, this movie opens with probably about five solid minutes of some of the absolute worst, like, photoshopped archival photos mm. you will ever see uh because this whole the whole setup is the, these four women uh played by jane fonda candace bergen mary steenburgen and diane keaton uh they have been friends since they were uh, since the 70s and they've had a monthly book club since then the first book they ever read in it was erica jong's fear of flying which was a you know era defining book uh for the feminist movement the the zipless fuck was introduced in Fear of Flying, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was a big deal, and uh, and so they've done a book every month ever since. They're best pals, and uh, and so to establish that, we get about five solid minutes <laughs> of uh, of what are meant to be snapshots of them through the years um, with each other, with their respective partners, with their kids, and uh, and goddamn if this isn't just the worst, so hacky, cheapest looking like. Just taking headshots and posting them onto other pictures. God damn, it is so distracting. And it just starts the movie off on a tone of unabashed, ugly cheapness. Cheapness, yeah. I was uh, waiting, I was hoping you would say that. Yeah, cheapness. And unfortunately for me, this movie never lost that cheapness. No, uh, no. It, it looked like shit. The entire way through. Mm-hmm. It like wasn't mic'd right. Like it would, it, you know, if there are scenes of the four of them like sitting in a room discussing the book club and like, mm-hmm. I've seen like amateur music videos that have made better decisions about how to like, s- you know, frame different people mm-hmm. when they're in four sides of the room having a conversation right. that didn't feel so hacky yeah. and didn't sound like you were using like one mic over one person and not the others. Yeah. And I- like, I, to me, like it's not very often that like that sort of um, drop in filmmaking happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 it looks really bad. Uh, the, the lighting, ugh. Mm. you know, the lighting is horrendous, uh, not doing any favors to its stars. And, you know, it's a first time director and it feels like it, mm. it just feels very sitcom. It feels like a mm-hmm. super, it feels like a really, really flat sitcom. That's mm-hmm. for some reason, two hours long. And um and the and the writing is cheap. The writing is so cheap. God, like I and and I will acknowledge at this point that the reviews for this have been surprisingly positive. And it's one of those moments where I'm just like, did we watch different movies? I don't know what movie you're all watching. I saw someone today that was like, oh, if this movie is the art this year's girls' trip, we could certainly do worse. I was like, how can you? What? Yeah, I think Vulture said that. 
I think Emily Yoshida said that in Vulture. Wow. It was like, you know, wow. if, if like that, if this is this year's girls trip, we could do a heck of a lot worse. I'm like, could we? I don't know if we can. I really don't know if we can. Uh, so it is, it is the humor is, oh my God. I just felt so embarrassed for everyone involved because like 90% of the jokes are just double entendres and not funny ones. No. And it's just like, um, the whole movie never gets past the point of like these old women not having sex and Mm. it just beats it over and over. So every double entendre is just, it's, it's. It duplicates the same like like pointlessness of the mm-hmm. of the plot, and they're not clever. They're just not clever double no. entendres. Like I enjoy like a good juvenile double entendre. Oh come but, on! But, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a I'm a teenager. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the mask finally comes off after all these years of insisting you're an adult. Damn it! <laughs> At last. Son of a bitch. Um, but like things like okay, so Mary Steenburgen reading Fifty Shades of Grey while watering a potted plant. And the pot plant has one of those little, like, thermometers in it to tell you how much water is in there. And then once you get to a certain part, and she's like, oh, boy. And then it cuts the thermometer as we watch the arrow shoot over to where it says, what? Oh, I was like. So disrespectful. The scene where Candace Bergen. Candace oh Bergen has, a, has a, a, a cat that she takes to a vet. And, uh, and the vet tells her that she has a, quote, lethargic pussy. Uh, and I will give credit to Candace Bergen, who gives far and away my favorite performance in this oh, movie. Oh, hands down. I'm so excited for the new Murphy Brown. Yes. Like, I have never had much of a connection to Candace Bergen. Because <gasps> um, I she never... She was a hero growing up. Really? Oh, my God, yes. You love Murphy Brown? Yes. Okay, I see. It was kind of a little too, like, I don't know, when it, when it was having its big moment, I think I was just a hair too young for it, and I never really watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say for her now is that she has fully stepped into the B. Arthur Golden Girls <laughs> period of her career. And goddamn, is she so dry and so fucking funny mm-hmm. in this movie. I think... She's the only one for me who gave a performance that was appropriate to the movie that she was in. Because when you have mm-hmm. that that level, because the humor is so is so arch, it's so um, broad, and it's so um, unclever that all you can do is just make B. Arthur faces to it. Yeah. Because yeah. like Jane Fonda spends the entire movie like like literally winking, like ha ha ha, wink, wink, wink. It's like, bring it down, Fonda. Uh, I mean, she was definitely the Rue McClanahan of the group. She was. She well, she was the. I feel like there's. It's more of a one to one with Sex in the City with this cast. It's mm. like she's the Samantha. Sure. Diane Keaton is the Carrie. Uh, Mary Steenburgen is the Charlotte, mm-hmm. and Candy Bergen is the Miranda. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could see that. I think that that is that's pretty much the one to one here. And no surprise, I'm with the Miranda. <laughs> Candace Bergen is the Donatello. She- <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so there's Mary all Steve that. Mary Steenburgen is the Michelangelo. <laughs> so and there's that. There's like a there's this really lengthy scene um, of Craig T. Nelson standing in front of who plays Mary Steenburgen's oh, husband, standing He's in front great. of all. Always of them. great to see him. <laughs> Rebecca, However, Rebecca was buzzing with sexual energy from what, <laughs> from watching Craig T. Nelson for two hours. Uh, he did have my motorcycle. <laughs> And uh, and he does this lengthy like you know sort of like unintentional double entendre monologue in front of the ladies where he's just like you know it's sometimes I just want to lube up that chassis and ride it all night and so um, terrible. and Jane Fonda is like over there fully like elbowing the women like can you believe what he's saying uh, it it is God it's just asinine. The people in the audience loved it though they really did um, they, this is for sure not going to be an audience favorite and we're going to look like Scrooges for for not I mean, liking fuck it. Fuck it I'll be a Scrooge. But it's just not funny. No. And you know and like the women you know like I don't think anyone in this movie is like bad um, I think they are all kind of giving tonally each of them maybe are in different movies from each other I don't know that the four of them necessarily act like they're in the same movie. Uh, Diane Keaton is for sure dressing herself here um, oh, she brought her own clothes. She 100%. brought her, Yeah, she brought her own clothes. I don't know that she was even using a script. Um, I think she was just Diane Keatoning her way through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, Mary and Mary Steenburgen, I think of the four of them, is the least iconic and the most kind of versatile chameleonic. And um, and uh, and she is she pays homage to a famous scene from Parenthood, where she tries to give Steve Martin a blowjob oh, to right. spice up their love life. Um, and that happened with Craig T. Nelson. And yes, Rebecca was tantalized. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that. I was a surprise <laughs> to see him. And I love Coach. 
There was an amazing um, small piece by uh, Wallace Shawn, which to me, that had me like laughing out loud because <laughs> Candace Bergen is like trying an online date, but she like runs into her ex-husband played by Ed Begley Jr. And he's marrying this like 25 year old, like, you know, beautiful young woman. And um, Candace Bergen's date shows up and it's Wallace Shawn. And he's like, even like has an extra lisp going on. <laughs> so like, well, it, hello. Yeah, and he shows up and, 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 and I, that was just a beautiful right. physical and comedy. She's fully, and she's towering over him. And that was really cranking up the B. Arthur energy even more. It really more. was, yes. So, but then that's the thing, is that like like we always say about comedies, if they're funny, we'll overlook a multitude of sins. But this right. movie just wasn't funny. We do have uh, to say, it's, you know, these women all have great careers. One owns her own restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, federal judge. Federal judge owns a hotel chain. And what is... The other, what does yeah, Diane Keaton, Keaton do? do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what does Keaton do? Yeah, it's a it's fair a question. question. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, and, and you know, and the whole thing with, you know, with Fifty Shades, I think there's a certain level of, of, of there's a baseline tackiness around forcing these, these luminaries, these Oscar Emmy winning icons to play like giggling older ladies reading a smutty shitty book. Um, mm, but mm-hmm. you know, but I think we talked about this when we reviewed the Fifty Shades movies. There is a lot of sexism that comes into play with the way that people criticize the Fifty Shades books, and I think that you know, so you know, I don't want to just buy into that hook, line, and sinker and just be like, because it's Fifty Shades, this is degrading. Um, because clearly those books struck a nerve for like hundreds of millions of readers, and so uh, so far be it for me to you know to sort of uh, to delegitimize that experience. Sure. Um, that doesn't necessarily make it any less of a bummer to see these four icons um, playing this kind of feature-length commercial for the mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, funny thing also, Don Johnson plays Jane Fonda's uh, love interest in the film, and his daughter, of course, is Dakota Johnson, Anastasia Steele, in the films. Oh, right. And yet he is in, he's, in, he's not in a single scene where the book is mentioned or no, shown. No, not at all. So I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but he keeps his distance um, <laughs> from the actual subject of the book. Uh, and, you know, it is a movie about, you know, uh, it kind of is accomplishing what the Golden Girls uh, was doing in its own way uh, of, of taking this sort of invisible population, you know, mm-hmm. as in, you know, women are made to feel invisible once they hit a certain age and certainly sexually invisible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, to have a movie that is entirely about, um, you know, uh, the actresses who play the lead characters run from 65 to 80. And, uh, and yeah, the whole thing is about them sort of like, yeah, just getting in touch with their sexuality and finding out how to like, get, you know, ask for what they want. And, and that's great. And it's great to have a movie driven by women ever, let alone, you know, women who are uh, in the age bracket, these actresses are. And that's what almost makes it more insulting that it was, it was not handled um, as well as it could have been. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's hard to say send it back. Yeah, no, it's a consume for me. It's a, cons- <laughs> it's, it's a consume for me. I wouldn't say send it back. Um, because I, I do think that there are, I mean, this is, this is a total, I mean, this is an airplane movie. Mm, um, mm-hmm. although I feel like even on airplane, I might be like, God, this is unfunny. Uh, like, wow. Is it embarrassing watching these, these, these brilliant legendary goddesses strain for such cheap based gags? Uh, I think that might still bother me on an airplane. Oh, what did you think of? There's a climactic scene involving Mary Steenburgen. Oh, I loved it. Did you? Yeah, I thought it was sweet. That's what people see. I was torn because in that moment, so yeah, there's this, this sort of there's a climactic. This is not a spoiler to say there's a climactic uh, scene in which Mary Steenburgen does this big dance number, and while watching it, I was torn, plain in the middle, uh, where I was you like, were Laurel. I was I was full Laurel Yanny, like just fifty fifty split. Over like I was like, look at her go for it, versus like, oh, you poor, poor woman, the things they're making you do in this movie. Um, but then uh, Ingu t- uh, said that she cried. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> yeah, Ingu loved this movie. Um, oh yeah, she was pretty quiet. Yeah, she loved it, um, and she cried during that scene. And I saw other reviews allude to like oh, that is, is a very affecting scene, and I was just like, I felt bad for her. I felt embarrassed. I think at that point in the movie, it was too late for me. I was like, no, mm-hmm. this movie is just is just degrading these women and making poor Mary Steenburgen do some like half-assed tap dance to a meatloaf song. I thought it was cute. No, oh, well, that's because Crazy Nelson comes barreling in and saves the day. Way to spoil that shit. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I know. I thought it was. I thought it was cute. I think maybe it's because it was her too. Like, yeah, I mean, she's lovable mm-hmm. as, as the day is long. Um, 
So, Book Club is uh, rated PG-13 for sex-related material throughout and for language. And that brings us to the third movie. Jason, you ready to do your best to me? Stop trying to get in my head. You're like a trash talker. Are you ready? You're not going to fuck this one up? <laughs> God damn you. You want to even say the title? Sure. Okay. The Seagull. One summer at a lakeside Russian estate, friends and family gather for a weekend in the countryside. While everyone is caught up in passionately loving someone who loves somebody else, a tragic comedy unfolds about art, fame, human folly, and the eternal desire to live a purposeful life. As summer begins, the guests arrive. Good evening. Well, sit down, join us. Isn't she adorable? (laughs) Even the thought of her makes my heart race. No, no, don't be shy. He's a celebrity, but he has a simple soul. Boris Trigorin, he's so famous. He looked young. He is young and accomplished, don't remind me. This is basically like um, Deadpool 3. How so? Um, Action-packed, uh, irreverent humor, um, Sir Sharonin. Butt shots. Mm-hmm, lots of butt shots. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a hot take, and I'm, I'm with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is actually a butt in it. That's a good one. Uh, And the funny thing is, the guy who has the butt in question, the owner of said butt, uh, plays uh, someone who is sort of a love interest to Saoirse Ronan. And the actor, whose name I believe is is Billy Howley, uh, Mm. also stars as her love interest in an upcoming film called On Chesil Beach. Oh, that Uh, one. I saw a trailer for that movie. I remember leaving the trailer thinking, I have never been more confused about what a movie is actually about. Did I... (laughs) Are there two men that it's a love triangle and I can't tell these two guys apart? I'm confused. No, not really. On Chesil Beach is actually, it's like a really small kind of intimate character study about this. These newlyweds who go on their honeymoon and then like can't quite fuck. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah. It's like the whole, that's basically the premise of the movie is like, Mm. they just can't like, they can't, they can't have sex. They like, they are like trying, but they're kind of both, they're like virgins and then they don't really know what to do. And she's freaking out and he's nervous. And mm. um, and then it's sort of like this, yeah, short lived, sort of a short lived marriage. Mm. Um, so, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's the, the, it was playing at TIFF last year along with Lady Bird. So for me, those two were like I watched them like back to back. But they're coming out very far apart. On Chesil Beach is finally coming out next month, in which how Billy Halley plays her husband, and as I said here in the Seagull, he plays uh, yeah, sort of a, a paramour of hers. This looks like a, an Edith Wharton novel come to life. Well, it's based on a play by Anton Chekhov. Okay. And um, and that's the funny thing. <laughs> that uh, is the funny thing. The hilarious thing is that it's Chekhov. Hold for laughter. Every every critic is suddenly like Professor Chekhov. This is mm. the thing that I hate the most that critics do when mm-hmm. they act like just like jack of all trades. About, like They just are experts on any subject matter they're writing about all of a sudden. Whether it's like, you know, geothermal tension or fucking Chekhov. Um, and now they're like, well, the thing about Chekhov is, mm. um, I am no expert in Chekhov. I don't know that I've ever read anything Chekhov has written. Um, I know that um, uh, one of my favorite films is Vanya on 42nd Street mm. by Louis Mal, who is the uh, who was married to Candace Bergen for mm-hmm, many for mm-hmm, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Julianne Moore is in that film is one of her first. And, uh, and that is based on Chekhov's play, Uncle Vanya. Mm-hmm. Uh, but aside from that, that's pretty much where my Chekhov knowledge ends. So the main thing that I found myself thinking while watching this film, The Seagull, um, was about just what a profound impact Chekhov had on Woody Allen. Ah. Uh, because like Woody Allen's stuff is so referential, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and he has a lot of his, you know, his sort of like his wide range of, of, of 20th century playwrights mm-hmm. and of like Russian intellectuals. And in in Chekhov is sort of right at the intersection of like playwright and Russian intersexual. Or Russian. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 the intersection of Russian playwright and intellectual. Russian intersexual. Russian intersexual. Anton Chekhov, you heard it here first. <laughs> um. So so I couldn't help but like just think like oh god this just feels like kind of like a like a bad Woody Allen movie in a way. Like, oh, this is one of those movies where Woody Allen decides to do a period piece. Mm. Um, Which is all of them lately. mm -hmm. And not that anyone seems like is going to let him make one going forward. Uh, because I think we're we're going to be coming up on a year pretty soon from his. Oh. I don't know if anyone because he made one with Timothy Chalamet um, before everything you know before shit really hit the fan, and um, and then Timothy Chalamet you know publicly was like I'm you know, or, yeah, all the money that I made from it oh, and giving, right, right, giving right. to you know giving away to groups that you know will work in this area, 
And, um, and I don't think it has a distributor. So I don't know if that movie will ever even see the light of day. And I don't know if anyone will ever really partner with him going forward but uh, wow. so so we, finally so, it took a bunch of other people to get in trouble for him to get in trouble right so uh so this is reminiscent of films we may never see again um but that are out there now that we can watch uh whereas yeah just woody allen doing these like period pieces where he's just like making hay out of his out of his references going back to love and death which is one of my favorites from the 70s mm. which was one of his dying keaton movies mm-hmm. um that was his most like his most russia focused his mm-hmm. most like dostoevsky mm-hmm. his most you know all that stuff so uh, so this is the seagull. This is a, 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 a very abridged version from what I'm gathering of the seagull. Um, the movie clocks in at just a little over 90 minutes. Uh, it's direct- just enough to make you not upset. <laughs> and um, and uh, right, because if it was under 70, that's when I get, that's when you get under, furious. Well, under 80. Yeah, under 80, I get really, really mad. Under 70, if, you're, if it's like 60 some minutes, I don't even have words for how angry that makes me, but... So Michael Mayer is the director. Um, he uh, currently actually was in San Francisco directing the Go-Go's musical, Head Over Heels. Mm. And um, and so he made this film. And um, and it's mainly the main reason to give a, a single shit about The Seagull <laughs> is its cast. Mm. Its cast is truly outstanding. So we mentioned there we have Annette Benning, We have Saoirse Ronan. We have Elizabeth Moss. We have Corey Stoll. Mm. We have Brian Dennehy. Yeah. Uh, we... A little something for the ladies. <laughs> we have Mayor Winningham. A little uh... something for the ladies. <laughs> I haven't seen her in a hot men. Yeah, she's there. She's been an American Horror Story a few times. Oh, um, nice. But uh, but yeah, she's there. Uh, and and it's just um, the main reason to see it is the cast. And among the cast, it's Annette Bening. Mm. She can do no wrong. She can win no award. Yeah, god damn it. Um, she is so fucking good in this movie. Um, but I was watching the movie feeling like, what is this about exactly? Mm. Like you were even saying when you were watching, we were just watching the trailer. So Rebecca could pull an audio clip from it for the, um, uh, sample. And you were like, God, what is this about? It's just a bunch of talking. (laughs) I turned into my dad. (laughs) And like, and it kind of like watching it, even as the viewer watching the full movie, I was like, wait, what is this about? What is it about? Well, it's kind of about, it's like this family that is this like wealthy Russian family uh, that is, you know, it's mainly artists. All the characters in, in this movie that who aren't servants are artists, whether successful or aspiring. And uh, so you have this, the mother who's played by Annette Benning, who is a, a very successful vain aging actress uh, Corey Stoll plays her lover, who's a younger author, who's very successful. Then Billy Holly plays Annette Benning's son, who is an aspiring playwright, but who doesn't really have the talent, just the just the drive. And then Saoirse Ronan is his love interest, who kind of wants to be an actress, but maybe she doesn't have the talent either. And so <laughs> this all... is white nonsense. And it, it is it is the definition of white nonsense. Mm-hmm. And so that's that... actually what Siegel is in Russian. <laughs> Sigolsky. And um and so yeah, it's just like. It's just them all being like, no, well, I'm sorry. I want to have talent. Well, you don't. Well, I, but I want to, but well, I have it. It's like, well, I know you have it. Uh, it's just like these like point. And then like, it's one of those things where, you know, like the, the servant family is like skulking around the background. Elizabeth Moss is like the, the groundskeeper's daughter and she loves the son, but he doesn't love her. Like everyone loves someone who doesn't love them back in this movie. Mm. And, um, and it's, I don't know, like, I think maybe it's just been, I've seen so many things that are riffing on Chekhov that now watching Chekhov, it just feels like super, super derivative, even though it's mm. actually the, the base of it. You know, it's the, it's the origin of, of so many of these types of stories. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I can't say that it made it especially engaging to watch. Uh, the filmmaking style is also very distracting. It's incredibly intrusive. Michael Mayer's camera is is weirdly restless and is like constantly kind of like like trying to shove in really close on his actor's faces at close awkward angles. Um, it is unnecessary. The whole thing kind of feels um, o- overly energized in a way that doesn't really let you make a form a, a meaningful relationship with anything that's happening or anything that's being said. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's kind of a waste of an amazing cast, uh, on a so-so adaptation of a classic play. Um, this is going to be the first Saoirse Ronan movie that you've seen since Lady Bird. Mm. Um, really putting her back into a period piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and the other, um, movie she's going to be in, it's also a period piece, right? Yes. Um, 
How do you like her better? Well, I think, you know, she is, it is, Lady Bird was one of the first really modern performances I mm-hmm. saw her give. And, and that was what was so great about it because she was so completely convincing um, and in a modern character, in a modern setting. I feel like it's hard to look at her go backwards. It kind of is. Um, but, you know, I think that's that's why she's a great actress because she can mm. do it. Okay. Um, and, so you uh, bought it? On, yeah. Well, the funny thing, I just felt bad for her because for some reason they decided to make everyone commit to doing um, American accents. Oh, no. Which is just like you think normally the default if you're going to like have something that was originally written in another language, but you're still going to cast white people is British. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but for this one, they do American. So she still has to do an American accent, um, which, you know, which was reminiscent of Lady Bird on Chesil Beach, though. Not American. Um, and poor Billy Halley sure struggles. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they told him literally the day before shooting began. Oh, by the way, we're all doing American accents. No, man. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's good to see her in the movie, of course. But. This movie lives and dies with Annette Benning's performance, and it is sublime and really, really must see. But it's the only thing with the movie that is. So, what are you giving it? It's a consume. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty unremarkable, very forgettable. Um, but Annette Benning just continues to, uh, you know, someone pointed out she plays so many sort of very intense mother characters, mm. um, and yet you would think that she would run out of n- new takes. Um, but she always finds one. She mm. always like she finds like she's just she's just a fucking master. Every year I appreciate her more, and um, I think I I think I went a lot of my life taking her for granted, and I feel sorry about that. You know, maybe the Academy will feel the same way. I sure fucking hope so. I mean, what will it take? Hillary Swank going away somewhere. <laughs> Who's in? The Seagull is rated PG thirteen for some mature thematic elements, a scene of violence, drug use, and partial nudity, and that's it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or uh, Stitcher, the SoundCloud app. And uh, you can follow Jason on Twitter at... Excess Baggage. I'm uh, Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the Binge. binge.